0: Okay, let's look, we're in lesson 20 today, folks, and we're going to look at the rest of chapter 12, we're in verses 12 through 29, and we're going to look at the final warning. Now, one of the interesting things about the book of Hebrews is is that interspersed throughout the book of Hebrews are warnings to the readers. Now, why does he have to warn the readers? Well, remember, these are Jewish Christians who are thinking about giving up on the, the new covenant. They're talking about going back to the old covenant because of the difficulties that they're facing. And so he wants to warn them that that's not really a good decision, that there are some ramifications for giving up on Jesus. There's some ramifications for making the decision to turn away from Christ, to become apostate. So we're going to look today at the uh, next warning here, the final warning. Next week we're going to be in Hebrews 13, and he's just going to close the letter with some various encouragements, and we'll start looking at that. We'll probably have two, one or two weeks on on uh, Hebrews 13. But let's look, first of all, we're going to look at the call to renewal. We're going to see, first of all, he's going to call us to renew ourselves spiritually. We're going to see that in verses 12 through 17. And then we're going to see the warning, which is in verses 18 through 29. All right, so first of all, let's look, let's look at verses 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of grace. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For if you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Okay, so let's look at this. First of all, he's going to tell us to do several different things here. There's about five different things here that I want you to see that he's going to tell us to do as far as strengthening our lives spiritually. Okay, renewing our lives spiritually. The first thing he tells us to do is to strengthen yourself. We're going to see that there in verse 12. And he's going to tell us to strengthen ourselves based on two things. First thing, in the face of being tired, they need to strengthen themselves. So, think about it for a moment. We're talking about people who are undergoing persecution, who are undergoing suffering. And his basic point to them is, is, you know, when you go through difficult times, you ever notice that when you go through difficult times, it just tires you out? You ever notice that? It tires you out emotionally. Emotional exhaustion, not just physical exhaustion. Okay? So, and what he's saying here is that, you know, lift up those hands, He's talking about being tired here. Strengthen those feeble hands. He's saying here that in the midst of your tiredness, you need to strengthen yourselves. So when you go through it and you're feeling emotionally down, you're feeling emotionally exhausted because of the stuff you're going through, because life will throw it at you, that should be a cue to you that you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, how do you do that? Anybody? Yeah, read the Bible in prayer. Talk to God. I mean, that's that simple. You say, that sounds like a pat answer, George. No, no, you need to understand. That's probably the only two things that you can do. There's one other thing you can do is to go to church and have others encourage you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church is supposed to be a place where you come for encouragement and strengthening as you face what you're facing. So the reality is, as he's saying here, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord if you're tired." Now there's one other area here. In the face of fear, they were to strengthen themselves. So notice there when it says in verse 12, "And feeble knees." what does that mean, George, feeble knees, shaking knees. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like for instance, we just had Halloween and you heard all the different reports about how to scare people and, you know, and different intense things that go on in the Halloween season that are supposed to, people get a, kind of, kind of get something out of being scared to death. And their knees are shaking, they're panicking. Well that's what he's talking about here, feeble knees. So in the face of having feeble knees, not just being tired, but in the face of fear, you need to strengthen yourself. So let me just stop for a moment. Fear a big issue in our lives? Don't we get afraid? Isn't there times when we're concerned, either in our relationships or at work, when something's happening that we face fear? Don't we? What how how do we normally respond to that? How do we normally respond to those times of fear? We just panic. Ah! What do we do? Withdraw. Okay. That's a good response, Rob. Anybody else? What do we do? Fight or flight. flight. We fight it or we we run from it. Okay. Anybody else? See, the response needs to be, notice that all of the responses are human responses. We just talked about, right? The response needs to be that when I am fearful about something, who should I go to? God, go to Jesus. So again, it goes back to the two basic things that need to, well, I would even say three basic things that are needed for your spiritual life. Prayer, God's Word, God's people. Did you understand what I'm saying? Prayer, God's Word, God's people. Because those things will strengthen you in facing the things that you're facing. Okay, in facing the difficulties, even when you don't understand what's going on or why it's going on. Strengthen yourself. Now, not just that we need to strengthen ourselves in the face of our weakness, in the face of our fear, he's telling us about the life that we live here. So, they're to make sure that the path that they are taking is straight. They're to make sure that the path that they are taking it's straight. Alright. Have you noticed that when you or have you noticed that when you go hiking that uh there is have you noticed that the trails around here are just perfectly straight and flat? Have you noticed that? There are no rocks, no limbs, no leaves. They are well manicured. And, and even some some of them are just pure nice, just a nice flat. How many of you noticed that? That's the way it is around here when you go hiking. You know, is that the way it is? It's not even that way on Rails to Trails. Have you noticed that? Because the natural thing is, is when you go through life, you're going to have bumps, you're going to have uh, you're going to have obstacles, you're going to have a difficult time. Well, here's what he's saying is, is that you and I, as you go through your life, you need to make an effort to make sure that the path that you're taking is straight. You understand? It requires you not just going along and bouncing from one problem to another, not just you going along and tripping over a limb, not just you going along and going up a hill and going down. You've got to make sure that you are making your path straight. You understand? That's the point he's making here. They're to make sure... make. Make an effort to make sure that the path that they are taking is straight. Why? Here. Because making an effort, here's the next point, making an effort in this area will not disable the weak. Rather, it will bring healing. So he uses the illustration of the weak here being like the lame. So, you know, if, you, if you've got leg problems and you're hardly walking, sure don't want to go on a trail that's got a whole bunch of problems, right? So you need to make sure that the path is straight so that rather than you continuing to have problems, you're actually going to have healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're actually going to bring healing to yourself. Now, there's a good principle here. Okay? Because all of us are on a path of life, whatever that path is. You're heading to Christ, Right? All of you know the areas of life that you're weak in. Right? All of you know the areas of life that you're weak in. Am I correct in saying that? Okay. Don't you think you need to make an effort to make sure that the path you're taking isn't going to keep weakening you, keep hindering you, keep hurting you? Did you understand? You want the path that you take to bring healing. Did you understand what I'm saying? So for instance, like if you're struggling with a drug addiction, maybe the path that you need to take is maybe changing your friends. Did you know what I'm saying? Change your friends. Change where you're hanging out at. Change what you expose yourself to. Did you understand? Do you, you've heard it said if you're, if you're trying to get overcome alcoholism, you don't rent an apartment above a bar. Is that right? You don't go to a bar. So you've got to make an effort if you're struggling in an area. So, so many of us, can I be honest with you, we just think we just want Jesus to come along and save us from our problem. Give me victory, Jesus. Now He does give victory, but it's going to require action on our part as well, does it not? Okay? This is what He's talking about. You make your path straight so that the lame aren't hindered, but rather they're, that, that, that they're, they find healing. This is a good principle here, isn't it? So I'm not just going to strengthen my life. Because here's the thing. We're talking about people who are going through it. They're thinking about chucking in the towel on Christianity. He's saying, you know, when you're tired, strengthen yourself. If you're fearful, you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And here's what he says. But you also need to make an effort to make sure that the path that you're taking is straight. So that you, rather than just continuing to hurt yourself because you're lame, and I stop for a moment. We're all lame here, right? Okay, now, not the way they use it today in a modern sense, like you're lame, okay? No, but we're all weak here. Each of us are weak in some area, correct? All right? So you make sure your path is straight so that you aren't continuing to hurt yourself in that area of weakness, but rather the path that you're taking is going to bring what? Healing. That's the point he's making here. The path that you're taking is going to bring healing. So let's go on. Verse 14. Here's the next issue. They're to make an effort to pursue peace with everyone. Everyone. You know, you can almost see some of the things that he's going through here because he's trying to strengthen them. He's trying to get them to renew themselves. So he talks about when you strengthen yourself when you're tired, strengthen yourself when you're fearful. Make sure that the path you're taking isn't adding to your problem. Now he's going to go to the next step and talk about relationships because some of the difficult, a lot of the difficulties that we face have to do with what. Relationships. You ever hear somebody say, oh, I love my job. I really love my job, except for the fact that I have to deal with people. Have you ever heard that? If I didn't have to deal with people, it would be a perfect job. And the reason why they say that is because of the difficulties of dealing with people. So here's what he's saying. If you're going to renew yourself spiritually, you've got to make an effort to pursue peace with Everyone. Everyone. To be a peaceable person. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because I'll be honest with you, have you noticed that our culture is getting more and more irritable? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like you are, on the simplest thing, you're ready to fly off the handle, you know? I mean, like, where's my order? Hey, you know what? I remember being a kid and getting the Sears wish book in October so that your mom and dad could lay it away, okay, or order it in hopes that it might come by Christmas and there was no tracking. Remember what's tracking? No tracking at all. You just kind of went by faith that Sears was going to mail you the stuff to get there by what? Christmas. Okay? Now... If it's late, if the guy's late, we complain. We want a refund. We give the raspberry to some guy over in India when we talk on the telephone. Okay? Because it isn't an American we're talking to. It's somebody overseas. Okay? And he's like, he doesn't know, He doesn't care. Okay? Where your order is. This is our culture now. We're not pursuing peace with anybody, are we? Have you noticed when you try to get upset with somebody at, at a store, they get back upset with you now? It used to not be that way. Like, Hold on, and you're like, in shock. Well, you're the one who started it. You know what I mean? Isn't that true? We're called here now to make an effort to pursue peace with everyone. Even the people you don't like. You know, over and over, This is not just the writer of Hebrews. Paul tells us to be at peace with everyone. Everyone. Okay? To live peaceably. I'm concerned today because in our Christian culture today, we want to stress so much about fighting for our rights. I don't find a basis for that in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? That we got to fight for our rights. There's no basis for that. If you think there is, please show me. I can be teachable in that area. And I'm telling you, I haven't found it. Okay? I haven't found it. In fact, didn't Jesus say that we're going to be like sheep led to a slaughter? Wow. Don't like that language. Well, that's Jesus. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. So I'm going to pursue peace. Here's the other thing. They need to make an effort to pursue personal holiness. Now, this is missing from, from our culture. It's missing. It's missing from our Christian culture in America is this whole concept that you and I need to pursue holiness. And just so you understand, the pursuit of holiness is not a foreign subject to the Scripture. If you go through the Gospels, it's there. If you go through the book of Acts, the pursuit of holiness is there. If you go through Paul's epistles, it's there. If you go through Peter's epistles, it's there. If you go through James, it's there. If you go through... The letter of Hebrews, obviously he's saying that here. You've got to pursue holiness because without it you can't see God. It is the concept of the Old Testament that you and I need to not just kind of float along, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do, but there needs to be an effort on our parts, on my part and on your part, that we need to pursue holiness in our life. What is holiness, George? Separateness. That's what it means. It means that you need to pursue being separated unto God. That your life belongs to God and you're going to live for Him. You understand what I'm saying? That you're going to deal with the junk in your life. The sin in your life. It means pursuing that. Personal holiness. We don't stress that anymore because I'll tell you why we don't stress it. Anybody have any clue why we don't stress it anymore? Yeah, the pendulum slung the other way towards what? Well, it's swung towards freedom, but where was it before when we taught personal holiness? Legalism. Because what we did was, in, in talking about holiness, holiness we, we didn't just tell you to pursue it, we told you how to pursue it. So we said to you, don't go to the branding iron, which no longer exists. But you remember that? okay? Can't go to steak night. Okay, don't go there. Don't go to the movie house, okay? Don't read the Sunday comics. You guys remember that one, okay? Don't read the Sunday comics. Believe me, there are some holiness groups that stress that, okay? All kinds of things. We we got into where it was legalism that you had in order to be holy, you had to do these certain things. But what happened was is we, we realized how silly that was. That's silliness. And so we swung to the other side now where we have total freedom. I can do whatever I want, baby. You know what I'm saying? Well, the problem is, is that we're no longer pursuing holiness anymore. Holiness in a biblical sense of what God's telling us to do. So you want to know what holiness is? Let me give you a, a simple way to understand what holiness is in your life. Every one of you here knows what it is that you're doing that's displeasing to God. Holiness is pursuing the exact opposite. It's pursuing what you know that you need to do in your life because you know that whatever it is that you're doing is displeasing to God. That's holiness. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's holiness. It's pursuing what God calls you to do Because the Holy Spirit's been convicting you because of this attitude or this action is displeasing to God. It's unholy to God. You're going to pursue the exact opposite in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, have you noticed I didn't tell you what to do? Because I don't need to. Because who's telling you what to do? The Holy Spirit's telling you what to do. So you're going to strengthen... You want to know how you strengthen yourself? Somebody can say, oh, I don't... I wish my life was so much better spiritually. I just wish I had a stronger Christian life. Can I tell you how to get a better Christian life? Deal with the stuff in your life. Pursue holiness. That's what he's talking about here. It's not just strengthening yourself when you're, when you're tired. Not just strengthening yourself when you're fearful. Not just making sure that the path you're taking is straight. It's not just being at peace with everybody else. It's also pursuing personal holiness in your life. That's reality here. Let's go on. He continues on. Why do you need to pursue holiness? This is due to the fact that they were aware that no one sees God apart from holiness. Listen, I I want you to understand something. I'm an eternal securitist. I believe in eternal security. But I cannot get away from the message of the New Testament, that also gives warning that if you're not pursuing certain things in your life, you need to not think that you're just okay because you prayed a prayer. See, if you're a believer, you're going to be pursuing holiness. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting you to deal with stuff. If you don't care about pursuing it, there's a question of what's going on in your life. And so he's going to make the point here that the fact that no one will see God apart from holiness. It's a warning. You need to be pursuing it in your life because if you're not, there's a question whether or not you're going to really see God. Now, we don't like to hear that. We like to think that we're eternally secure. I, I believe in eternal security. But I also know there needs to be a pursuit of holiness in your life. That is an evidence. Okay? It's an evidence of God's work in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're gonna evidence things in your life if you truly believe. And one of them is that you're gonna pursue personal holiness in your life. Okay? You're gonna pursue personal holiness. Here's the next area. They are to, they are encouraged to watch over each other so that no one misses the benefits of grace. Now here's the thing. I think this is wonderful how he he talks about these personal areas that you need to do, but then he goes one step further because we're a church, and he says we need to watch after each other. Because here's the thing. Christianity is not a solo game. Christianity is not about you being individually walking with Jesus, and it's all about you and Jesus. No, no, Christianity is, we're, we're a team effort here. We're a family effort. And so because we're going through difficult times, because all of us are going to face heat, because all of us are going to be faced with discouragement, because all of us are going to be struggling, we need to encourage each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we need to watch over each other so that no one misses the benefits of grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how do you miss the benefits of grace? You're not doing right. You're not where you should be. And so therefore, you're missing out on the benefits of the blessings of God's relationship. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so if we really care about each other, we would say to each other, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned about what you're doing. I'm concerned about your activities. I'm concerned about your attitude. and Have that discussion with people. Okay? The Bible's calling us to something different here. We're to examine each other, and we are to talk to each other okay, to hold each other accountable. So let's go on. They're to be aware of each other in case bitterness emerges in, in in relationships. You know, this is a big area here. You've got to be aware of where people are at if you sense in them an emergence of bitterness. And you know that. How can you tell if people are bitter? Well, what do they keep talking about? Hey, what are you having for Thanksgiving? Are you going to watch the football game? Will you believe what that guy did to me? Yeah, I remember you told me that a month ago. I still can't believe he did that to me. Do you think that's bitterness, folks? It's obvious. Now, here's the reason why we have to be on guard for bitterness in our community, our church, because bitterness is like a cancer. It spreads. Do you understand what I'm saying? It affects everybody. Have you ever been around somebody who's bitter? How do you feel coming away from talking with them? Anybody? How do you feel? You feel really great? Wow, I want to be near them. No, you're avoiding them, aren't you? It's like, oh my goodness, you're in Walmart, and you're cruising along, you're getting your stuff, and you think, I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to get out of here, I just hope there's, I hope there's a checkout lane open, and then you see them. Out of the corner of your eye. There they are. And and you've been around them enough and their bitterness. And and it's like, you're turning the other way because you know that if you stop, it ain't going to be two minutes high. It's going to be 15 minutes of being talked at about their bitterness, who they're angry at, right? And you're like heading out of there. It affects people. This is what he's saying here. Bitterness. You've got to be aware of each other. So so what do you do, George? Because we don't want to get involved when people stop. You go to them and say, hey, I see you're struggling there. Have you thought about forgiving? Well, I'm waiting. Well, they're never going to forgive you. You're waiting forever if you're waiting for them to come and say, I'm sorry, because that's still, even if they say they're sorry, that's still not going to release you from your bitterness. You've got to let go. You've got to let yourself out of that cage. I'll pray for you. It's a process. Did, did, did you see the importance of that? Let's go on. Bitterness will create trouble and cause believers to be corrupted. Bitterness will cause problems and cause believers to be corrupted. That's just reality. Look with you at six, verse 16. Here's the other thing we need to examine in each other's lives. Verse 16 says this. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. What's he talking about here? Purity. Here's two things. This, is, this is, They are to be aware of each other in the area of sexual purity. This is the most neglected area today in the church. How can you say that, George? Listen to how we joke with each other. The way we joke with each other, sometimes, a lot of times, will delve over into sexual innuendo. Do you understand what I'm saying? Especially if you hear married couples. And then sometimes married couples, they don't even, they'll they will interact with each other and joke about it, and there's a single person there, and we don't understand what's going on through that single person's mind, because we're married. They're not. They're called by the Bible to what? Wait. And we'll be crude, and we'll, we'll our talk today in our culture is completely sexualized. That's just one area. There's another area. Pornography. It touches everyone. No one is immune from it. But we don't talk about that. Did you know what I mean? We don't talk about it. And it's in everything. It's in every movie now. Did you understand what I'm saying? And we've desensitized ourselves so much now that we just simply, oh, well, whatever. But you realize that your mind is like a supercomputer, everything, especially guys. Guys are visual. Everything is there. Everything is there. And so what he's calling us to here is, man, you know, we need to examine ourselves and be aware of the areas of sexual purity in our lives. Now, I'm just going to be encouraging to you. The the way to do this is for men to hold each each other accountable. And again, you've got to have relationships because you you go to a guy and you don't know him and you start talking to him about that stuff, I can almost guarantee you what he's going to do. Clam up. And he'll avoid you the next time he sees you. Because you haven't earned the right to talk to him. Did you understand what I'm saying? You haven't earned the right to talk to him. You're not his friend. And the way to talk to him about it is not to be accusatory. Is just to talk in general. And trust me, it'll come up. And if you're seeking reconciliation, if you're seeking restoration rather than the punishment, then yeah, you can talk to him about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Unless he's really defiant, then there's a question of where he's at. But you could talk to him about it. See, can I be honest with you? The issue of sexual purity, that is why many people feel alone today. They feel so alone today because there's so many taboos in the church. What you can and cannot talk about. and It's like, boy, well, if I talk about that, then what are people going to think about me? And I'm going to tell you what people think about you. What they should be thinking about you is you live in a sexualized culture and it touches everybody. Nobody's perfect here. Do you understand? Do you understand? Nobody is perfect. So the reality is, is we need to be pursuing sexual purity in our conversations with each other. Holding each other accountable, helping each other. That's what we need to be doing. Why? Because we're not to follow the example of Esau. We're not to be following the example of Esau. What example is that, George? Well, for a personal gratification, Esau despised and sold out his standing. For personal gratification. He despised his standing as the firstborn, and he sold out. Sold out his birthright for what? Just something to eat. I mean, have you ever come back from a hunting trip really famished? You know? I don't think any of us would say, oh, here, let me sign over my inheritance, or let me sign over my house to you for that cheeseburger. Boy, that's a great-looking cheeseburger. Yeah, I'll sign my stuff away for you for that. I mean, seriously, though, you're talking about a guy who was consumed with what? His own lust, his own personal gratification. See, folks, here's the thing. When it comes to sexual purity, what's more important to you? What's more important? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. What's more important to you? Is it the momentary fulfillment of a desire that will never be satisfied? Or is it the relationship with God? Did you understand what I'm saying? Is it the momentary satisfaction of a desire that will never be fulfilled? In fact, I would say this. The more you pervert that desire by wrong behavior, the greater the emptiness of it, it will never be fulfilled. Did you understand what I'm saying? You've got to ask yourself that question. And it's incumbent upon us to be there for each other! Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? To be there for each other! Now let me just stop and qualify that. When I say be there for each other, it's incumbent upon guys to be there for each other. It's incumbent upon women to be there for each other. It's not a mixture of the two. When you talk about this area, I am not, I'm not gonna go talk to you and say, hey, well, guess what I'm struggling with, so-and-so, miss so-and-so. Yeah, like I'm really going to talk to a lady about that? And if you're a lady, you sure don't go talk. Don't come talk to me. You say, hey, I want to talk to somebody. At some, is there, I'll, I'll direct you, but don't come talk to me about that. Okay? There's a, are there are other ladies that you can talk to to help through it. Do you understand? Because that's an area that is a minefield. But we can help each other through it. That's the point of the passage. And here's the point that he's saying. Just real quick. Two things. His actions resulted in rejection. The actions of Esau resulted in his rejection. No amount of tearful pleading could bring about a change of his rejection. That's the point the author is making here. Remember? Because when he, when he didn't have the blessing, he was like, Oh, Daddy! Daddy, isn't there a blessing for me? Isn't there a blessing? Well, bud, you sold out. No amount of tears could change that rejection and so f- throughout this letter we have seen where he has given them warnings concerning leaving this is going to be the final warning so he's going to give a warning about people giving up on Jesus that's the issue here it's it's giving up on Jesus rejecting the true message of truth for salvation do you understand what i'm saying And going back to an old system. So let's let's look at this together. So let's look at verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to the mountain that you may be touched that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure What was commanded? And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God and the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken off, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. All right, so let's look at the warning. First of all, verses 18 through 21 are going to talk about the Old Covenant. So the first thing I want you to see is is the writer reminds them that they did not come to Mount Sinai. Okay, so... Here's the reality. Folks, did you come to God through the Old Covenant? No. That's what he's telling his readers. They didn't come into a relationship with God through Mount Sinai. Do you understand? That's not how you came. It isn't, your acceptance with God has nothing to do with the Old Testament law. Do you understand? The Mosaic law. You didn't come to God through that. Alright? You didn't come to God through that. Here's what else he's saying. Fear marked the people as they approached the mountain. The old system was a system that provoked fear. Do you you understand what I'm saying? The old system was a system that provoked fear. Can we relate to that? How many of you have been involved with a legalistic church? Okay? Okay? And how many of you have ever been in that church and you knew that you were not doing what that church said you needed to do? And what was the feeling that you were marked by, especially if somebody from the church saw you doing it? What? Guilt and what? Fear. Why? Because the old system, a legalistic law-based system, and that's what the Mosaic system was, communicates acceptance with God based upon what you do, and if you're not doing it, it provokes within you what? Fear of retribution from God. Did you understand what I'm saying? Fear of retribution from God. In fact, think about this for a moment. In those type of churches, it is most common when somebody goes through a difficult thing, when they have a problem, when they go through a difficulty of some sort, especially if it's traumatic, it's most common for people in those kind of churches to say, what did you do to deserve that? Have you heard what I'm talking about? What did did you do that caused God to allow that to happen? It's almost like a retribution thing. Did you understand what I'm saying? Like God is punishing you for something. See, that's all part of that legalistic... And this is what he's saying here. You, you, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai was a place that was motivated by, by fear. Here's what he's saying. The mountain represents the Old Covenant. The mountain represents the Old Covenant. Be so careful when you are dealing with new Christians that you don't impose on them an old covenant? Did you understand what I'm saying? We've entered into a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And yes, they maybe need to deal with some stuff, but dealing with stuff does not mean that you need to give them a list of rules to go by. Because what's going to happen is, is they begin to think that their acceptance with God is based upon whether or not they're doing what you told them they need to do to be accepted with God. That's the old covenant. That was the old covenant way. Okay, so this is the warning. He's telling them, "You guys, you guys didn't come to faith through the old covenant." So he reminds the readers, his readers, that they have come into the presence of the heavenlies. So rather, you didn't come to the old covenant with fear. You come into through salvation into the presence of the heavenlies. Okay, you come into the presence of of the Godhead, Paul would say that you're already seated in heaven with Jesus. Okay? You're already seated in heaven with Jesus. So their approach to the heavenlies was through Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. Can I Can I just stop for a moment, just so everybody understands. You've got to grasp this point. This is the point that the writer of Hebrews is making here. Your acceptance with God is not based upon what you've done. Your acceptance, your entrance into the heavenlies, your being able to go before Him in prayer has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with that. Your acceptance and ability to go before God and to speak with Him has to do with the mediator. It has to do with the one who mediates for you, who paid the price for you. And that was Jesus Christ. Do you you understand? My ability to go to God in prayer, my ability to to realize that one day when I stand before him, I'm accepted into heaven, has nothing to do with me. They're not going to look at George and say, Oh, George, you were such a great guy. Chances are they're going to look at George and say, Boy, you are a schmuck. What are you doing here? And here's my answer. Jesus. Jesus. I'm only here because of Jesus. Did you know, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm only here because of Jesus. He died for me. He accepted me. He brought me into reconciliation with God. He's the mediator. The old system was a, was a system of fear. Am I doing the right thing? Am I getting it right? Do, do, do you understand? Hey, let's stop for a moment. Take back for a moment. What is the number one thing that new Christians always struggle with? What's the number one thing that new Christians always struggle with? Their assurance of what? Salvation. They always wonder if they're truly saved. Why is that? Because maybe they've done something wrong. And so now their conscience is hurting, and so they're wondering, you know, I'm still sinning, I'm still giving into this, I'm still doing that. Maybe I'm not saved. Why? Because they haven't grasped yet that their acceptance with God, their salvation, has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us, is their approach to the heavenlies was through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Okay? The mediator of the new covenant. All right, the readers are warned not to refuse the new covenant. You know what? We trivialize people who don't come to church anymore. We trivialize people. We get we make excuses for people who turn their back on God. We we do that, don't we? Let's just be flat out honest. Oh yeah, I remember a time when they came to church, and yeah, they're not living right, but we're hoping that they get right one day. Blah blah blah, you know. And and and, uh, I know they're okay, and we even make we even start saying things like there are unbelieving believers, or believing unbelievers, or whatever. Okay, that is not the implication of the text. The text is warning them. The readers are warned not to refuse the new covenant. Don't turn your back on what Jesus is offering you. Don't walk away from it. That's been the warning here. Don't walk away from acceptance with God based upon something else. Did you understand? There's a warning here. You don't reject it especially if you're going to say you embrace it, don't turn your back on it. Did you, you understand what I'm saying? Don't turn your back on it. Don't turn your back on it at all. The readers are warned not to refuse the new covenant. So here, those who refused the old covenant did not escape the judgment of God. So we look, at, look at what he's saying here. Verse 25. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn from Him who speaks from heaven. So he's saying, guys, if you if you got a question about that, like oh, you're not sure what I'm saying is true, the writer says, look, think about those who rejected the old covenant in the law. Those who rejected the law, those who rejected the Mosaic system, those who rejected what Moses was saying. What happened to them? Did they go on vacation? They were judged, some of them immediately. Ground opened up, swallowed them. Fire came down from heaven, consumed them. So if rejecting the old covenant resulted in punishment, what do you think is going to happen if you reject the new covenant? If you turn your back on the new covenant? You, You are putting yourself in a precarious position. Did you understand what I'm saying? You're putting yourself in a precarious position. So the, those are refused. So the writer points out that there is a final judgment that's coming. We all understand that, right? There's a final judgment that's coming. This is not trivial stuff that you, you know, our culture likes to make it trivial. You know, you know, if you want to you cheer, cheer on the Steelers, that's wonderful. If you decide next week that you're going to become an Eagles fan, that's great, wonderful. That's your decision. That's our culture, okay? That's the way we are. Just make up your mind. Make up whatever you want to do. It's okay to be fickle, okay? Now, if you're a Steelers fan or an Eagle fan, it's not okay with you to be fickle. But but our culture says it's okay, right? It's okay to be fickle. And we have a culture filled with what? Fickle people. But I'm going to be honest with you, that is not the implication of the text here. It's not okay to just trivialize the decision concerning Jesus Christ. Because the reality is is that if you refuse Him, there's judgment coming. There's judgment. So let's stop her. Let's make it practical here. All of us have had loved ones who've turned their back I'm just going to be fine. All of us here have loved ones who've turned their back on the New Covenant for whatever reason in whatever capacity. All of us do. Rather than just making excuses for them, because that's our tendency is to make excuses because we're hoping, we actually should be concerned for them. We actually should be moved with great concern for them because judgment's coming. And that doesn't say where they're at. I'm not saying where they're at. We don't know where people are at. Does everybody understand that? I want you to understand. We don't look into hearts and know where people are at. But rather than just make excuses, maybe it would be better for us to be motivated by a fear for them because we're concerned for, for what they're facing. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because if they don't know Him, they need to be called, they need to be called to Him. If they do know Him, they need to be called back into a right relationship with Him. Did you understand what I'm saying? So, the writer points out that there is a final judgment coming. We need to, to grasp that. Now here's what he goes on, it says. The readers are called to be thankful that they will receive the kingdom. Are you thankful for that? We're going to to have a Thanksgiving service next week. Are you thankful that God had mercy on you and opened your eyes to the gospel and you responded? Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful for His grace? Because let's be honest, we're not perfect here. And even though we came to Christ, I'm sure we still messed up and are continuing to mess up. And God is patient with you. Have you noticed that? He's patient with you. Are you thankful for that? I mean, are you thankful for the New Covenant? That, that's what the author is saying. The readers are called to be thankful that you're going to receive the kingdom. That should be an awesome thing from us. Chances are next week when we have testimony time and I say, okay, who wants to share something they're thankful for? Most of us will be like, Well, I don't really have anything to share. Really? How about forgiveness just for the last week? Do you, know, do you know what I mean? They should serve God with reverence and awe. They should serve God. Here's what he's saying to them. You should serve God with reverence and awe. Let me think about it for a moment. Let's just, let's just digest this. We were going to hell. Every single one of us were going to hell, rightfully going to hell because of our sin. If you don't understand that, you need to. Not any of us here is that good. Not any of us can stand up and be justified before God and say, Well, you know, I'm okay, God. No, you're not okay. Even your smallest insignificant white lie is an offense to God and worthy of hell. Do you hear me? And you know what? Here's the problem. We didn't have any way out. There is nothing that we could do, nothing that we could do to change where we were heading. Do you hear me? You hear people all the time, well, my, I hope my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. No, no, you don't understand. Your bad stuff is like the weight of the universe. Your good stuff is like a grain of sand. Put that on a scale and what outweighs the other, okay? You're, it, it, it's insignificant. You cannot overcome your bad stuff, period. So that's a lie when we say that kind of junk. The reality is, is there's no way out of it for us. There was no way out. And so here's the God who's judging us. And he has, are you ready for this, compassion and love for us. So he sent his son to die in our place. To pay the price for us. And he offers to us a new relationship with him reconciliation with him. We just have to accept it. And when you accept it, you are saved. You are forgiven. You enter into a new relationship. Should that not draw from us reverence and awe? Do you know what I'm saying? This is what the author is saying. You and I should serve God with reverence and awe. At what he's done for us. Because if it wasn't for him, guess where we would be going, folks? To hell. For eternity. Forever. Forever. So here's what he says. Final point. Just to make the issue here. God is a consuming fire which reflects the nature of his judgment. When we talk about God being a consuming fire, what does that mean? Fire is always a picture of judgment here in the, in the scripture. Through the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is a judging God. And nothing will be ignored by him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, let us stop for a moment. How many of you remember every wrong thing you've ever done in your life? Anybody remember every wrong thing? Now, you remember some things, okay? But do you remember everything you've done? Let's just take last week. How many of you remember every wrong thing you've done? I can almost guarantee you, you have it because some of them were done out of ignorance. All right? God knows everything. And everything will be revealed. And will be judged. He's a consuming fire. Who can stand before him? Can you tell me who can stand before him? Those who are justified by Jesus because of the mediator. Did you understand what I'm saying? We have a standing before that consuming fire because of who? Is it because of us? No, because of Jesus. Okay, coffee's in the back. Next week we're going to be in Hebrews 13, and we'll go from there.